It's The Chris Grace Show. I'm your host, Chris Grace. Thank you for coming back. My guest this week is Heather Pasternak. She's a hilarious stand-up comic. I took a class from her, but now I consider her a peer and a co-worker. And we recorded this interview before we did a show at the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. I, I think this is a cool interview because Heather is almost diametrically opposite from me in so many ways in terms of our approach. She is a very hard worker. Um, she prefers, she's very social. She likes to be around people. <laughs> she's positive. Um, and I just think it's really interesting. Like she has struggles with some of the things that I don't have struggle with. And she very readily does a lot of the things that don't come easily to me. And I think uh, it's just instructive to see the difference. Uh, she's a brilliant writer. She's been on uh, Colbert. She has a set on Late Night. She's performing. I feel like I'm introducing her for a, a club set. She's been, She performs all over. You guys are going to love her. Uh, but you are. You're going to love her. Uh, so please enjoy my conversation with Heather Pasternak. Okay, we have Heather Pasternak on the show the chris grace show and yes i was just explaining that these two mics for remote are neither of these mics is what i mean to record with i can on hear the you <laughs> <laughs> you're um, doing a good job i have those you know the standard stand-up mics the sm58s okay. that you get at every club i have literally like five of them they're in my garage somewhere and are then those running, what you meant to use for this yes okay and then i running out yeah, we're on the go. We're I'm on like, the go. Where are those mics? But who are you that you just are like, oh, but I have these other random mics. Like, oh what are God. these from? This is my whole life that you don't know about. Really? Is, yeah, I just buy too much crap. Oh, I think you've alluded to this. Yes, life. that's right. That's cool. Uh, so Heather's on the show. Uh, I'm a big fan of Heather and her comedy. I'm a big fan of you. Yeah. Thank and you for being here. We met through a class. Yes. And you have taught me many things in life. Oh, that's so kind. <laughs> I'm just so happy you're here. Chris and I are doing a show together in Las Vegas That's at right. the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club, which is pretty cool. And it's so nice to be in your hotel room doing this podcast instead of in the smoke-filled casino. Oh, I know. Um, have you been to this club before? I've done it once before. I was featuring here for my girlfriend, Jade Catapreta, who's really talented and funny and amazing. Um, and she's really great about trying to like get other opportunities and especially for women in comedy. So she introduced me to the club. They invited me back to headline. It's a pretty sweet deal for me because somebody uh, was supposed to be there today and they had to cancel. So a lot of the tickets are already sold, which was like, that's something I don't have as much confidence in yet is mm -hmm. selling tickets out of town. Uh, but I do feel like I can at least do the time. So it was like a pretty sweet deal for me. This is a great subject for me because, uh, I think I've alluded to on the podcast before, but in the world of standup, I am in a slightly awkward position and I relate to what you're talking about because now I've talked to a couple of clubs where they have uh, essentially offered me longer slots Yeah, where they, the, the whole part of the standup career where I would go around featuring like I am tonight mm -hmm. um, is being short circuited a little bit. Because you can fill the room. You got fans. Well, because they think I can. So yeah. I, but do you know if you can yet? Oh, I'm pretty sure I can't. <laughs> Well, I have some resources. I have some people I can put you in touch with who are opening clubs that are newer or, yeah. you know, you just go in honestly and say like, hey, 
I've done some film and television. I'm yeah. new to stand up. I'm trying to see if my audience translates. Like, do you want to be on that journey with me? I, think, <laughs> I love I love that is such a LA way to But you know, as long yeah. as you don't show up and be like, I can fill this room and then don't deliver. Yeah. But if you let them know, they're prepared for that. They have stuff built in, like that's why you get a bonus if you fill the room. I'm personally experimenting. I ran some ads on Facebook, some targeted oh, ads where I put up one of my jokes that's doing really well and the flyer for this, and then I can see like, oh, 50 people in Nevada clicked on this today. Like nice. maybe they bought tickets. Yeah. Um and I, my thinking behind that was twofold because I know tonight is going to be full of a lot of people who show up and are like, you're not the person we bought tickets to see. So right. I'm trying to fill the room with some people who are actually there to see me. Right, 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 right. But yeah, it's a big, beautiful mystery and there's no one way to do it. Well, I relate to this sense of now we are essentially running small businesses. Totally. And there's the whole part where we have to create material and mm-hmm. try to be funny. And then there's a part where we are a marketing department. Right. And uh, Ugh, what a nightmare, you know, all I know, this I'm stuff. trying to outsource my clips and all that. The clip mm-hmm. game is so real. I do think co-headlining is a really good way to go. That's a new I mean, I don't know if it's new, but it's see, I've noticed lately that that's a thing. Yeah. Um, do you follow the um, uh, wait? Were you sorry? Let me cut this up. Do you follow <laughs> that podcast? Uh, Are you garbage? No. Um, it's these two guys from New York uh, and they put up clips all the time of them doing essentially they both do a sort of a slightly shorter headlining set. Yeah. And then like they 30, do 30, 30 or yeah, something. Yeah. And right. then they do a Q and a, that's cool. a fun thing. And actually my friend Tim Murray and I are doing this in Great. Cleveland and Houston, but it's a, it's a structure that I hadn't thought of before, but is actually kind of fun. I think it's great because you can get like crossover fans mm-hmm. and you can share the burden and pressure of filling a room exactly, yeah. and promotion. And also just like traveling in these gigs are so much more fun. If you can bring a friend or yeah. someone that you're like, have fun hanging with, you know? Yeah. Let me set the table a little bit. Um, how long have you been doing comedy? I've been doing stand-up about 10 years now. Okay. And where do you, in the in in the journey, where do you mm-hmm. see your... You, I feel like you're... my From the outside, it seems like you are uh, you know, leaving the... You've left the world of the feature and you're attempting... Thank you for seeing me that way. <laughs> and you are... Um, yeah, I'd like to get to a point where I can build my followings and translate those to tickets and seats so that I could headline and have a little more freedom. For me now, I have a toddler. Mm-hmm. So I have this feeling of like, oh, I wish I had gotten into the road gig game a little earlier when I didn't have as many you know, responsibilities. As many stupid obligations. As many tiny, stupid idiots following me around with cute (laughs) faces. Um, No, I only have one, but it's like if I'm a headliner and someone's putting me up and I'm getting a decent pay, I can sort of justify dragging my husband and toddler along, which would make it a lot more fun and doable. But Mm -hmm. for the feature acts where you're lucky to break even and you're just making a connection, it's really hard to do that. Um, I think it took me a long time to understand what was possible. Like I used to have this idea because I was an actor before a stand-up that – I would have to like become a series regular. Then I'd get famous enough that people would want to come see me and see my mm. stand up and my writing. So I didn't really understand that you could actually become a really successful road comic just by building relationships with the clubs mm-hmm. and having them give you opportunities and that sort of thing. So I feel like I didn't fully understand the scope of possibility. I was like a little more closed minded. And now that I get it, I'm like, I wish I knew about this five years ago. I think that the I think it's impossible to really understand the whole scope of the stand up yeah, world. Yeah, probably in five years I'll be like, I can't believe I didn't know this. Well, I also think it's changing every like 18 months. That's fair. Um, I think that, I think actually it's reasonable that you thought that because there's been a lot of models of, hey, this was a series regular person yeah. who then started doing stand up all of a sudden. Totally. And they 
you know, they sell out a room at Flappers right. or whatever, and and they're doing a they're taking the door or whatever, you know. Yeah, and the money in film and TV is so good that like, and if you get on a show like you know now my dream is so much more. I'm sure you can relate to this, but just like humble. Like I want to be like sixth <laughs> on the call sheet. You know what I mean? Like I want to be like not all the time there, but just there enough that I can like do my other stuff and get like that yeah. sweet, sweet SAG healthcare and like, <laughs> you know, still write and do the stuff I want. Yeah. Um, but I, sometimes I'll, I'll still be fine being, I'll be three on the call three sheet. Three on the call sheet? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll be six on your show. Oh, great, Let's great. do this. Three means you're getting, I mean, the thing is series regular money is crazy <laughs> it's true but it's also like a lot of work and a lot of hours and a lot of early mornings probably oh yeah very i mean you know you yeah, have a toddler so that's true <laughs> but that's why it's like my early mornings are full <laughs> yeah i think the sweet gig would be a multi-cam series regular because oh, then the it's hours better the hour i believe the hours are very better uh very structured oh i like this we're um, manifesting right now. a lot of people nice multi-cam where i get out of early mornings with my son because i'm doing them on set yeah <laughs> i will say that uh i did a show i did one episode of a show called mr mayor which was really fun and my call time was maybe like um <clears throat> my call time was maybe like 9 a.m and we were, we were done by 1 p.m that's hot and i was like is it like this every day and they were like yeah basically don't tell anyone oh my god and the show's over now but that's amazing but they were so efficient about getting their stuff done i was like that's this show great. is great and i think that ted danson was on that show and i think he was part of the mm-hmm. uh encouraging yeah you know that we got enough takes of this like right and it's true like a lot of times you pretty much got it you don't totally need to, if it know. takes that many takes you're not gonna get it yeah um so you have a toddler i have a toddler and you talk about being a parent in yeah. your work which has been really nice honestly i think there's so much messaging out there that makes us feel like parenting is supposed to be easy or we're supposed to be good at it or you're you know not supposed to get frustrated mm-hmm. that i feel like i'm part of a good cause by getting up and being like Hey, I lose my shit a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that's really important messaging and there's not a lot of it. Do you think that part of that underrepresented part is, and I say this as a person that's not a parent, but it seems like maybe there's a part of parenting that just genuinely sucks. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> a lot of it genuinely sucks. And it's funny how like, even when people tell you how it sucks, like you think that you still don't really understand how much it sucks. Uh-huh. Um, well, so tell me how much it sucks. <laughs> there's a lot of things like, okay, everyone says about the lack of sleep and you're like, I get it. Like, fuck you, lack of sleep, big deal. And in my mind, I was always like, okay, lack of sleep, but I'll make up for it in the day or something. Mm-hmm. But then I never realized like what a cunt I would be when I would get be getting my sleep in 90 minute chunks. Uh-huh. Like not like being able to never get it through straight through in the middle of the night mm-hmm. is really hard. Um, also just like the added pressure on your relationship, like suddenly you have so much more involvement in the other person's decision making and you're so much more judgmental and you think you could do it better mm-hmm. and you know, you're tired, you're overtouched. I mean, like sleep deprivation is a war tactic for a reason, you yeah. know, and then it's somehow like when I was single, I would do dishes like every four days, like maybe like laundry every, <laughs> like, I don't know how, but having a child translates into like laundry every single day, multiple loads, cooking food that then they don't eat and then you eat it and then you feel fat and then like cooking like two or three meals until they like eat the thing. Like all these things that when you're single, you think, oh, I won't put up with it. I'll make them a meal and if they don't want it, they won't eat. And then you realize like, no, you're in a hostage situation. Mm. You're trying to survive and you're just trying to like appease them. Um, 
yeah and it's just there's such a big gap between how you think it's going to be and what it's really going to be it's really really challenging and just losing your shit and i think people don't talk about it for a few reasons like i think as a society we're very protective of children like children are really resilient but we sort of talk about them like they're super fragile Mm -hmm. and like no one on one hand you want to get up and go like yeah it's okay to sometimes get frustrated with your kid but no one wants to get up and say hey it's okay if you yell shut the fuck up to your kid because we all know (laughs) it's kind of not okay right and so it's like such a fine line of like i want to talk about what's hard but i also don't want anyone to come take away my children (laughs) (laughs) based on your set at the jimmy kimmel comedy club obviously jokes are exaggerated and stuff but like i do jokes about being a weed mom and stuff and sometimes i think about like am i privileged to feel like i can do that and not feel fear like you know there are a lot of Mm -hmm. other people and at different times in history where you know it was very easy for someone to accuse you of being incompetent or being on drugs and like you know what does that mean it just all feels kind of scary sometimes to talk about yeah i mean certainly in like the clinton era there was right. the framing of like and this is their the term of the era was like welfare mothers yes which would have been it certainly at the time it would have been like this mother smokes marijuana all exactly day. yeah it would have i mean but, when we're really accepting of wine moms, which is like one of my best bits right now. But it's yeah. like, wh- who decides where the line is and like, why is it OK to talk about this and not about that? And yeah, I mean, I actually think that, first of all, that bit is great. And also, I think it kind of is revealing a thing of like, um, you know, we don't perceive black mothers as being like wine drinkers. You know, it's connected to interesting. Um, some archetypes that yeah, are destructive. Totally. And uh, because now, I mean, we also live in California. Right. So, we've so it been, doesn't feel as salacious Exactly. Here. We've been cultured about like marijuana culture is just like, you know, and that, by the way, that's what cool people say is marijuana culture. Oh, good <laughs> to know. It, I'm so glad it. you told me that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's what's great about that joke, though, is that it kind of uh, functions on like those structures are built into us. And so that's what makes us laugh at that joke. Yeah, I think, I think also good standup is like that. It's revealing. It's like, look, I'm not dying to get on stage and say, like, sometimes I have to get stoned to want to hang out with my kid. Like, you know, it's not mm. flattering or to cope with the stress of it or whatever. But like yeah. sometimes just admitting those things, I feel like it lets some air out for me. But also hopefully the people who are watching and going like me, too. And I don't I'm not a bad mom just because like mm-hmm. sometimes I am a bad mom. <laughs> Is that something you hear after set sometimes that someone comes up and says, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And they mean that in a good way. Me yeah, too. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or just the response I get is really fun. Or even, you know, maybe I, I used to have it, you know, when I used to do stand up about being marriage and baby hungry, I used to do this bit where I'd come out on stage and I'd say, anyone else trying to trap a man? I mean, start a family. Uh-huh. And like that got such a big response because I think as women, we're conditioned to think we have to pretend we don't want those things to get those things. Yeah. And so just being able to be like, hey, I really want this. Like, I feel like was cathartic. Yeah. For people. And even if they weren't willing to say me too, it's like they're watching me and going like, she said the thing none of us are saying. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the hope. Yeah. And also there's sort of a, maybe a little bit defiance of saying that when it's almost um i don't know if this is uh, by the way most of my podcast features me stammering about questions uh, <laughs> i don't know if this is uh, something that you consciously thought about but like it almost feels defiant in the sense of expressing a thought for you and other women as opposed to worrying about what guys would think about that thought you know right because a lot, what i mean is that there's a cliche of like women are just trying to trap you to like oh totally start a family or whatever and- no there's always going to be men saying something stupid i mean to be honest like 
if I don't have a man commenting on a clip I post and saying like women aren't funny or something or right. like too bad she's funny, but like maybe I'd fuck her or something like then I I I know I'm like, oh, shit, my clip didn't reach a wide enough audience. <laughs> I swear that's how I think and feel. It's so fucked up. But like when I get those comments, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, nice. I hit the masses on this one. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which is sad, but it also is kind of fueling because I'm like, OK, my shit's still needed out there if there's this much like resistance to it you know yeah i mean I your think, bits are like that too you have some really great bits i mean i think that what happens when you when these bits sort of make it further out is you realize a little bit that we're in a kind of a bubble in california yeah. sometimes and i think that's what's been interesting about doing stuff on the road too mm-hmm. is been seeing like oh works. yeah some of these references right. you know Totally. I have some jokes tonight about L.A. and the entertainment industry. And I'm like, we'll see if they hit. <laughs> right. You have jokes just about like the intersection of Melrose. And, Basically, and I have <laughs> jokes about going to Beverly Hills High. And I'm going to try a joke tonight about how everyone thinks that means I went to school with Shannon Doherty. But like, really, because I went to public school in Beverly Hills, I was actually just like buying weed off Shannon Doherty's body double. <laughs> Which is so I funny to us because yeah. we're from L.A. I think that'll, uh, that'll LA. hit. Okay, well, we'll see. Yeah, watch tonight just crickets. Yeah, I know. And I'll be like, Chris told me to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Your feature act told me. Yeah. He sabotaged me. That's right. <laughs> um, I think in our comedy circles, I think you are known as essentially like a writing machine. That Thank you. I wish I could sometimes turn that machine on myself. Like sometimes I feel like it's easier to help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's a cool skill. I think writing for other people's voices helps you write for yourself. And I'm grateful that I could do that for other people. You don't feel that. I mean, I, I perceive that of you for yourself, too, but you don't feel that way. I think so. But it's kind of like, you know, like the shoemakers, kids never have shoes. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like I dedicate so much time and energy to punching up other people's jokes or, right. you know, they're paying me to sit there for an hour and make their shit funnier. And at the end of the day, I'm like, do I give myself that same attention? And also, like, there's such a power in fresh eyes mm-hmm. that I think two people working on a joke can do a lot more than one person who's been looking at the same joke for six months. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do try to, like, take it to my friends and my writing groups and work it out in shows and stuff like that. But I, I always feel like there's more I could be doing. But even I notice this in scene work, like if I help a friend for a self-tape, and I'm putting them on tape. It's like, I understand every beat. I'm like, oh, you got to do this. No, they mean that. Because <laughs> right, right. there's no pressure on it. But then yeah. when it's my self-tape, I'm like, what does it mean? Should I cry here? Like, I feel so lost. You're like, what funny voice should I do? Yeah. I'm like, was I ever funny? Like, you know, so. Uh, do you do you have an issue like motivating yourself to work? Because it seems like you don't. I work a lot. I'm actually past that. I don't have procrastination problems. I have relaxation problems where like. I don't have any hobbies that I haven't monetized and I'm like very American and I I don't know how to just like hang like I am not your uh, stereotypical pothead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm more the like smoke weed to clean the house kind of like it's hard for me to chill without guilt. And you should try meth. Really? I think, I think it would fit this lifestyle. <laughs> oh my God, way I'd love that. Um, no, I don't know how to really like. Even I'm in my personal therapy, like when my therapist is like, well, what have you done for yourself? I'm like, well, I watched reality TV like a disgusting animal. And he's like, why do you have to call it disgusting animal? Uh And I'm like, oh, like, right. I'm allowed to just be frivolous is a word that I like to use. And he's like, it's not frivolous. Like doing nothing is part of 
being alive. Do you, are you good at doing nothing? Oh, I'm great at. I mean, I'm I'm completely opposite from you. Do you use meth? Like, what do we yeah, do? Yeah, I use meth to relax. That's how we both use. But drugs you also and, do a lot. I mean, look, you have a podcast. Yeah, I mean, um, well, actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, so last, uh, well, what is this? 2023? No, really, almost 18 months ago, uh, my husband had a health issue, which I is know, I'm I've so talked, glad he's okay now, right? He's he's uh, in remission. He, he, no, he has oh. a thing that essentially won't go into remission. Okay. And I've talked about it on the podcast. And so, but it's under um, control at this point? It is under control. Um, but he has a kind of renal carcinoma is what it's called that doesn't go into remission. At this current time, they don't have a, any technology or medication that can make it go into remission. They can have it. Scary? Oh, yeah. So it's so scary. Um, but since then... I have been so productive. Mm. I mean, thank you for all the medical problems because I finally I got over my procrastination. (laughs) What a horrible way to frame it. Because it made you just feel like more gratitude for how much time you have. That and it also made me feel like we got to make some money, Uh you know, and I wonder bills are expensive. Yeah. And the the reason I was thinking about this was so our online shopping habits. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, all these microphones aren't going to pay for themselves. <laughs> well, you're using them at least. Yeah. It made me think about, though, is this what people talk about when people have a kid? And Because I... Yes, I, like what you're I, more productive when you have less time yes, and I less money. Yes, I see a money. lot of yeah. people have kids and they, they suddenly become, you know... Well, kids of, are cool and magic in that basically any character flaw you have is magnified and reflected back at you. So you're sort of, you work on yourself more than you would and you become aware of things about yourself that you don't like and you mm. start to see like things of your parents that you didn't like that you didn't know you had carried with you and like all those were were your parents also sort of uh work yeah work my mom had me when she was 40 and she was like working really hard and she wasn't very maternal was like one of the kindest things my mom ever did was like pay a mexican woman to raise me you know what i mean like a nice warm (laughs) lady who had (laughs) she she outsourced warmth (laughs) yeah basically she's actually really cool and we're really close but my mom's always been someone who's just better with adults you know what i mean like she's like she's always been a better friend than like a toddler mommy. Right. Um, and you have siblings, right? I do. I have two older sisters. Which means she she went in for this multiple times. You yeah. Know, like, and by the third time was like, I need to stop pretending that <laughs> I'm good at this. Right. right. <laughs> so I definitely feel like I got the best version of her and a lot of the things I needed. And even even like finding my friend's parents in high school who I was like close to because my parents were very like we had a don't ask, don't tell sort of thing. So like I had to go. Because you were gay married? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were, me and my parents were gay married. But they were just very old school like that. Like, you know, my mom didn't want to do the sex talk or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. And like I had I had my friend's mom took me to the gynecologist for the first time when I was sexually active for the first oh, wow. time because I knew I couldn't like tell my mom about that. <laughs> right. So I sort of like. What, what would she have said? Ew, don't tell me that. <laughs> really? Would she literally have said that? Yeah. Oh, my really. God. Well, my sister got her period. Apparently, like the story goes, she like got her period and screamed and was like, I got my period. And my mom was like, don't scream that in the house. That's disgusting. And then my poor sister sat on the toilet waiting for it to end because like my mom didn't come in and explain to her like anything about what the fuck to do. Wow. So I got the advantage of sort of seeing what didn't work and Uh sort of like knowing I was like on my own on certain things. But 
you know, as generational trauma goes, my mom grew up in a house with like five siblings and her mom was a teacher and her dad was like a postal worker. It was like when you could be those jobs in America in the 50s and still own a home, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, her mom, her parents, it just sounds like they were spread pretty thin and they were like pretty neglectful just because there were so many kids. Yeah. So she was kind of on her own. So I think she didn't learn a lot of things like she just doesn't know a lot of stuff. Like even when I got married, my mom didn't know that you're supposed to like get ready with your daughter. Oh, so she didn't get ready with me and I didn't tell her because I didn't want her to feel inadequate. I was just like, OK, show up with the guests. Great. OK, so she was just like a, a special guest. I yeah. mean, she was a guest, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I mean, did that like were, were you just like that's mom or were you annoyed or were you like saddened by it or was it just like. This is what I expect. No, I think I just like went and found the things I needed in other people. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I was able to. I don't know how I would have felt if I hadn't done that for myself. Like then I might have felt some sadness. Right. But I feel like I've actually been able to just accept that she showed up how she could. Yeah. You know, and then I think as a result, I'm like pretty nurturing, you know, in an opposite way because I sort of see that she wasn't that way. But, But she is very sweet and she is very warm and she is very loving, but she just wasn't as physically affectionate when I was a kid and you know it's also a different era like the parenting style now is very like it's okay to cry baby Mm -hmm. and oh who's having big feelings you know and when I was young and I'm sure when you were young it was a lot more like you've nothing to cry about don't be ungrateful you know what I mean like that kind of thing yeah I just I mean I just had uh, my experience of childhood is just like uh, I love your jokes about your parents (laughs) slightly like abs not absent but like I don't have memories of any interactions about those things at all. I think my mom really cares, but I think like sometimes she just thought if she just was hands off that she would fuck us up less. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I wonder uh, for you and your, your journey with therapy um, because I'm older than you. uh, One thing that I went through in the literally in the last five years was recognizing that there were things that I would tell myself, like my parents left me alone a lot. Um, so I was always like, I'm just super independent, which I totally am. Like when we talk about like road gigs, like I'm so comfortable being by myself. Oh, wow. On a road it's a gig. It's a superpower, dude. I mean, I can, I can literally just, <laughs> I can travel to Antarctica by myself and wow. just like, whatever. And I would always, literally until five years ago, I would say, um, you know, that's the benefit of my upbringing was right. I was really left to my own devices all the time. And what like, do you say now? And now I recognize that. That is a sort of useful skill that I developed. Like spinning it positively. But it is also, but it's also fair to say that it's a compensation for something that I wasn't getting. Yeah. And that. um, I think I have like, I'm hesitant to say those because I don't want to seem ungrateful. And I think no one's going to give you any, everything. Yeah. Because people are flawed. And like now that I'm a mom, I like, I want to be viewed as perfect. So it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) I think the value in recognizing the duality of it is, is I'm grateful like that. I'm not going to change. Like that is how I am. But it also recognizes that there are some um, things you lose in that compensation. Mm -hmm. And also they might not serve you for me personally, as there are situations where that doesn't necessarily serve me. That's fair. Because I'm not the most... Like, let's hang out kind of person. Yeah, it's like sometimes it hinders your connections. It 100% hinders connections in a social and, frankly, in a professional sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, 
it's just, uh, you know, and it can definitely pop up in like personal relationships, mm-hmm. obviously. Like if you're a person that's like, I love being alone and then you get married, yeah. you know. Um, so like, I no sleeping in the guest room is my love language. <laughs> I mean, I, I love like I would love to have the like Eric and I did um, a show at the Sydney Opera House uh, in cool. 2019. We did it for a month. I directed it and he was in it. Wow. They I didn't flew, realize he was a performer. Oh well. yeah, he's he's an amazing performer, wow. an amazing singer. Um, we flew to Sydney for a month. They did not know that he and I were married. Oh wow! So they gave us both our own hotel rooms in a hotel for a month down the hall from each other. Was it the time of your life? Oh my god, it was, the, and he loved it too. By and the way, it was way. like your place or mine kind of vibes. Yeah, yeah, but uh, so I mean, on top of that, he's way neater and cleaner than uh-huh. I am. So he got to have a space that was oh un, my God. un, un uh, like messed up by Chris. Unchristified. Yes, exactly. Um, How, what do you call this podcast? Is it Stammering with Chris Grace? Yeah. Okay. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is a great title. <laughs> um, so this work ethic that you have, it's interesting that like, is there, a, is there a tangible cost to like not being able to relax? Probably. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's probably going to hit me on my deathbed where I'm like, what did I do? (laughs) What have I spent my whole life doing? But then again, we work in an industry where it's confusing because we work in joy. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people to relax, they watch a movie. When I'm watching a movie, I feel like I'm fucking studying. I'm like, oh, that was the catalyst. What what minute are we in? Oh, look at what the protagonist did. Like I'm watching it. It's hard for me to turn off that Mm. cerebral part of my brain and just enjoy stuff. Even when I'm watching stand up, I feel like I'm studying a little bit. Oh, 100%. When you're watching the reality shows to be frivolous, are you also like thinking of jokes about the shows? No, that's really my thing where I'm, there are a few things I do for myself like that. And like this week I made a point Monday morning, I woke up and I smoked weed right away Mm. and I took a shit while smoking a joint. And I was like, these are the perks of self-employment and I have to make sure that I'm doing these things to justify the fact that often when you're self-employed, you like overwork and you never stop and you get to do things you like, but yeah, I think I struggle with also like want to say no to things more. Like when I think about success, it's about be what things do I get to say no to? What jobs do I get to turn down because I'm conserving my energy for something else? Mm-hmm. I'm at the stage where I have so many things that I've, <laughs> that are going on now that uh, I, I've sort of obligated myself to in a good way. Um, but I'm curious to know, if, when, and what it's going to look like when I burn out, when I run out of that energy that you're talking about. Yeah. Or I guess there's a fear, like you work really hard for the opportunities, but if you get there and you don't have the material oh, yeah. to back it up, what's the fucking point? Yeah. Um, you know, or when is material burned? We're in such a different time now where it's like, you can post the same clip of the different jokes. And because of the algorithm, it's like your different followers see it, or it has a different tag, or you're in a different outfit, or can mm-hmm. we treat it like music? Is it like well, hearing the hits? Or is it like you've heard it once and you never want to hear it again? I don't, I don't, I was thinking the other day that because there is so much content now, it's really kind of impossible to assume that like your, your clip went viral and it got 500,000 views. You can go do road gigs and people have never heard that. That's how I feel too. And that's what I abide by. I think it's too much work to try to reinvent the wheel every single time. Yeah. Um, But it is just food for thought. But I I don't know. I feel like there, I also get a lot of sense of accomplishment and like there are things like, you know, people are like, oh, like the, the likes and the follows don't don't matter and I get that but at the same time but I I don't believe that (laughs) no but like for me when I'm like oh this got half a million likes or something I'm like 
that means I made half a million people like smile or laugh mm-hmm. or like alleviated some pain for them. Like for me, that's where the joy comes in. And I feel like that's not egoful to enjoy that part. Yeah. But it so often gets sort of swept under where it's like people think that's not what you're thinking about. You know I what I mean? Th- I think that's a very healthy way to look at it because it, what I hear behind that is that you put up a clip that you believed in that you thought was funny and then it got shared and people liked it, right? It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't sound like you are ga- trying to game the algorithm and then, right. hey, that worked. Because right. I think that is the part that is not joyful. Mm-hmm. The part that's like, okay, I put up a stand-up clip, but it didn't take off. So now I'm going to like hyper edit it. I'm going to. Or take it down. Yeah. Sometimes I've done that or experimented with that. It is an interesting sort of game. I've done that more on my TikTok. Like Mm -hmm. TikTok feels like more of a mystery. Instagram, I feel pretty comfortable with. Facebook, I feel like I'm faking it. (laughs) (laughs) Same with Twitter. YouTube, I'm trying to get into that shorts game. There's just always some new thing to learn. I think it's very cool, this whole marketing element. Yeah. I'd love to outsource it to like a nice 20 year old who knows more than me that I could teach some stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a website that I saw where that you pay like a high amount monthly mm-hmm. that you ju- you can just like Dropbox them like Your sets and they'll they'll like come I'm a up. little too controlling for that. Like I want to be like in at 306 out at 319 <laughs> right um, centered here. You know what I mean? Like yeah. hashtag that like a little bit. Yeah, I think that you have to have someone who's got a comedic eye or you got to have someone where you can send them some time codes and, you know, but I'm figuring out my process and I'm trying to be comfortable experimenting. Everyone's like, oh, consistency. But you know what? As a mom, it's like I just have to be like, if I can do this every three days, yeah. trying to post between nine and noon, sometimes that's 7 a.m. And sometimes that's 1159, <laughs> like, right, 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 you know, right. and just sort of being easy on myself. And you learn a lot that way, too, because you go like, oh, well, what's working? Yeah. Whereas if you do the same thing every time, you don't get to, like, test as much stuff. Yeah. I mean, you sound so much more professional than me. With really? This I'm just faking it. But you could do it too. And like, honestly, having accountability buddies is so helpful. Like I've had people where I'm like, can you just text me and ask me if I posted something? <laughs> um, if you had to do like all of the material you want to, you are feel good doing right now, like how much of it, how much of a time do you think you have? None. aren't you like immediately sick of your shit i'm always immediately sick of my shit i'm like what do i even care about anymore like this felt so important like three weeks ago and now i'm like do i even give a shit about this (laughs) like i feel like there's an amount of stand-up where acting is required in that you have to act like you're this is still a burning (laughs) desire to work this material out i'm always much more excited by the new stuff i do try to set myself up so that i'm trying a new joke in between old jokes that work Mm mm-hmm um, to feel like, you know, I always feel like it's such a dance of, hey, saying to the audience, hey, I respect your time. So this is stuff I've written, but also I'm present in the moment. So I'm down to like play a little bit. Yeah. But I guess if I did every joke that I really loved and I didn't care about like, had they seen it on my late night set or here or that, and I did some crowd work and I had fun, I mean, probably an hour. Yeah. It's hard to say more than that because in LA, the sets are so short out of time, ta- out of town, I can get 30 minutes tonight. I'm probably doing 40. Mm hmm. So I just don't feel like I've had as much time to work it out. Yeah. I, I mean, I've talked about this before because I have been offered, you know, Greg Berman uh, was nice enough to offer me. Uh, and at do one- it. You know, that's what we all do. We say yes to the shows <laughs> and then we figure out, oh, fuck, I got to get the material together. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think that's a reality in general for standups? Yeah. And I think it's good because like you get us in a room, obviously look at us on the podcast. Like when you treat stand up like a conversation like all of us can talk for eight fucking hours you yeah. know what i mean it doesn't mean everything's going to be brilliant or hit 
But if you speak from the heart and you, you're naturally funny and instinctual, you're willing, you're playful and you go with a good intention, I think intention really matters with the shows. Like I always try to be like, okay, I'm just going to go out and share. One intention I like is if I can make one person feel less alone tonight, I crushed it because mm-hmm. it's an attainable goal within me to connect. But if my goal is like, I want them to like me, I want them to invite me back. If Mm -hmm. I come out with such a desperate energy and I'm not as playful and I'm this and that. And I feel like people can smell that, you know, and. Yeah. Have you done a show where you um, sort of identified like, okay, I didn't I had a sort of unspoken intention that didn't serve me. Yeah. It's always it's always when I forget to set an intention because Mm -hmm. the unconscious intention kicks in. And that's always I hope they like me. I hope they think I'm good. Oh, my God. There are other comics on this lineup who are so great and I want them to think I'm worthy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all that like stuff that comes from like not feeling enough. And I don't know if you feel any of that. You're a little older. So maybe does it ever end? I guess is my question. (laughs) Uh, Well, you always seem really cool, really confident, and like you don't give a shit. And I don't know how much of that is, that is faked. Some, that's somewhat true, uh, but I definitely feel like when we when I took the class that you co-taught with our friend Jerry Kathman, um, and we did our graduation show. This is like mid near the end of the lockdown, yeah. essentially. Um, my friends were coming to see it, and I have done stand up before, uh, but I was very very nervous for that graduation show. Um, And I don't think my friends could tell that I was. No one ever can. But I can, you know, you know when you're physically like. um, Now, also, since that started, like, my mom died. Our two cats died (laughs) in a 40-hour period. Both of our cats died. Um, That's so romantic of them. Yeah, exactly. And they hated each other, which was the most befuddling thing. But, you know, the stuff has happened with Eric. And so there is in, I mean, I already had this feeling. Right. But, the context is like, who gives a shit? It's and one even show. stronger feeling, like one of my core energies is like, none of this matters. Yeah. You know? Having a kid helps with that too. Yeah. That like, makes sense. I used to have time to like reread my emails and be like, oh my God, did I say that? Okay. Right. And now it's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, but I also think there there have been times where I could probably didn't have um, the right intention that you're talking about. I definitely have had the most success when it's just like, I want to go have fun. Yeah. That's um, a great one. And I think another thing I've thought about is just trying to really connect with the people in that room that mm. night. Yeah. Um, but I, but you know, I have felt a little maybe too loose with my material. When you talk about like, are you sick of it as soon as you write it? I, I haven't felt that yet. And I think I do. I would say if one of my superpowers is being alone on the road, mm-hmm. it's fine. I do think another power I have is I don't really get bored of the material. Like I you switch it up a little here. And I there. switch it up a little bit, but I, I, you know, part of it is like some of the thoughts that I'm communicating are still like, to me, they're very old. Like the idea that you shouldn't think of all Asian people looking the same. Right. Is something that I've clearly thought from like probably 48 years of my life. Right. Um, but there are still people that I do that joke in front of and they're like, Oh, uh, and I can't believe that in like, 2020, me. I mean, really like, yeah. like there's like, you know, one of my jokes is about how uh gay men and their profiles would put no Asians, right. you know, and it's not as common. Anymore. It's not zero. Right. And when you tell that to some audiences there, some of them are genuinely shocked that like people. That's not will, okay. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, there's still people yeah. learning this stuff for the first time. Right. And I think that is one of the things that I've experienced being in L.A. versus being outside of L.A. There are things that in L.A. you're like, well, of course, like 
pronouns and right. all, it's all we all take it we're all yeah. we're all on board and then you take like you go to like san bernardino right and it's like suddenly it's not well, that that's anymore the cool thing about stand-up it's like if you can make something funny people are so much more likely to have an open mind about something new yeah i think that's the superpower of stand-up well i also think something i've really admired about you getting to know you is that i feel like you have a relentless ability to not be negative. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's my perception of you. From that. I don't know what work you've done to get to that point. I am really positive, but you know, <clears throat> that's an ethos from Jerry Katzman's stand-up comedy class that I've taken with me, which is this thing of like, and it's basically the law of attraction, like what you focus on grows, mm. but also that criticism can be like a boomerang. It's like, if I criticize another performer, then it makes it harder for me to get up and perform because I'm going, oh, fuck, is everyone looking at me the way I looked at that person? Yeah. Whereas if I look at that person and I go, well, they have good stage presence. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe their jokes aren't hitting, but they're not bailing on themselves. Fuck, I like her shoes. Like, <laughs> and I just I then I live in a world where I go, well, if that's how I look at people, then maybe that's how people look at me. And so I can get up and stand up. So like I feel like it's a constant muscle to be flexed that I've worked on for a really gotcha. long time, but I get a lot of benefit out of it because if you can be a positive person in the world, then you can assume that there are positive people looking at you that way. And I always just tell myself things like, you know, they don't remember the mediocre jokes. They remember the great ones or whatever. And it's like, I think it'd be too crippling to get up and do anything if I were It's just like the world is full of so much negativity. It's the same way in class, right? When someone gets up and does a joke. We give them notes on the jokes they can make funnier. We don't give them notes on the jokes that suck because they can feel that they suck <laughs> right. because nobody laughed and they don't need us to go, hey, remember when nobody laughed? <laughs> don't do that anymore. Yeah. So I think there's just a lot of like the negative stuff that gets sort of comes out in the wash, hopefully. Do you think that there's a um, sort of side skill or I mean, primary skill probably in, in comedy of the thing you're talking about? You do a joke in front of people. And then it works or it doesn't work. The ability to recognize that it didn't work is sometimes I've noticed with people starting at comedy will sort of be like, oh, it worked or it. Right. I think people commonly uh, misdiagnose uncomfortable laughter that like sometimes people will have a joke that's just shocking. Like the punchline is like cock and balls. Mm -hmm. And it's like people laugh because they're like, huh? And then like that comedian is like it crushed. And it's like, no, making people uncomfortable is different than like actually making them laugh. So I do think you have to get to a point where you're discerning. But similarly, there's a skill of like not throwing something out when it just needs workshopping. Like sometimes it's like a joke doesn't work, but the premise is still great or Mm -hmm. the punchline just needs tweaking or, you know, and that's the cool thing about doing it for 10 years is you get to learn that where it's like I'll have a premise from 10 years ago and it's only like this year where it like fits into a perfect other idea I have or something. Totally. So you just uh, shot a special. I did. I shot a special and I shot it with two other comics. It was a short mini special. We did about 15, 20 minutes each. We did two shows. I found this less daunting because if you can do that, you have comedians to share the expense, the Mm -hmm. promotion, the burden of filling the room and just the whole process. So I found that really nice, um, especially when it's like there is an element of like how much material do you want to quote unquote burn when you're putting something out yourself. Yeah. Um, and then I actually partnered with a girlfriend. So we used uh, clips from that stand up special where we shot all three of our specials in one night 
to pitch a stand-up reality TV show. Oh. So that was part of the way I was able to get budget for it is that it was sort of like part of shooting something for a sizzle for a show idea. Mm-hmm. And then like the specials coming out of it was just like bonus footage. Oh, cool. Um, and when, what was your thought going in in terms of strategy of like, where is it going to live? So it's funny because, you know, I've done late night and stuff. And back when I did late night in 2018, everyone felt like you shouldn't burn stuff and la la la. So there was a period when I was pretty covetous of my material. And I was like, I'm not just going to do this for anyone, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And I didn't want to do the clip game and all that because I was like, well, if I do the clip game, I can't get it on late night and all these things. And then what happened was I had this like really funny set once when I was like wanting my boyfriend to propose. Mm. And it was all about like diamond rings and this and that. I ended up putting it on YouTube. It was only like seven minutes. It, It got like it went viral on YouTube, like just more many more people than subscribers I had. And I had this realization of like wow, I was so covetous of that material and now that moment has passed and I don't feel connected to it really anymore. Mm. And why was I so covetous of it? Like when really all I want is to get it out in the world and connect with people. So my thinking was, I kind of want to capture this new mom moment. Like even if it's just for myself of like the jokes I wrote when I was sleep deprived about being a new mom. And if it gets me any traction or gets out in the world or is helpful for other moms or parents or people, then great. That's a bonus. So it was another one of those things of setting a really low intention. My intention was just to capture it for myself and not to feel covetous and precious of it. And then I actually ended up reaching out to 800 PG uh, or PGM, I think is what the company's called. And they put out specials and they were like down to experiment with a shorter form content. So then like we partnered on a collab and they didn't care that I had already distributed it on YouTube. Um, so it ended up being like a cool little calling card and thing I can send to people. And I used it for clips and I like how it looks and Everything was just a bonus because I was just sort of doing it to capture that moment in time. Yeah. Oh, first of all, tell us where we can find it. Oh, it's called Slay at Home Mom. It's out on my YouTube and it's on 800 PGM. Um, and I am Hello Pasternak anywhere. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, screaming on the streets, you'll find me. Cool. Um, I wonder if that feeling of covetousness is maybe also inversely connected to this idea that I've thought about, which is like um, believing that like, you can put that material out and you will create more. You yeah, know, like it's a feeling an, of preciousness or scarcity mindset of yeah, like, this a, was my big joke. And it's like, you'll write right. another big joke. And there's there's, there's, there's a position of abundance that you could take too, which is just like, I will, yeah. I came up with this stuff, I will come up with more. And that's how I feel about punching up other people's jokes too. Yeah. Like sometimes I punch up a joke for someone like you and it's like, you're a gay man. Like, you know, I'm not going to pitch you a joke that I would even use probably, yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I mean? But sometimes people think, oh, well, I don't want to give away my shit. It's like, you're not giving away your shit. You're flexing a muscle. Like there's an abundance of funny ideas out in the world. I love the whole, like, I mean, I've, I've definitely talked about this, but like, I love pitching people's stuff. It's so fun. I love it. And I've, I've, I've been very depressed a couple of times in the real world when I like pitch somebody. Oh yeah. Not everyone's receptive. Um, I've been depressed when I, and this is by the way, totally within their rights for me to say like, Hey, can I pitch you on this? And then be like, no, yeah, I just, it just bumps me out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that they're doing anything wrong, uh, but it I've just gotten some really great pitches. I got a pitch from Leah Bonima. I hope I'm saying oh, her name ba- right. Bonima. I think. Bonima. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but she saw my joke, my closer about how my husband, um, you know, talk about how my vagina is different every time I look at it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, my husband heard me say that and he was like, no, it's not. And I was like, yes, it is. I don't think you could pick my vagina out of a lineup. But she came up to me after a show and she's like, can I tell you, I just keep hearing vagina. <laughs> and so I started adding in a vagina, if you will. And it's like so fun and yeah. silly. And it's like, I'm not 
precious about it. I'm happy to like credit her on this fucking podcast. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, even when I write other people's jokes, they're like, but you wrote it. I'm like, but you set me up. Like you came with the idea, you came with the image, you came with the this. And then I just put a little like dot on your eye, you know? Yeah. I think it's a different relationship to, and also a very different perspective on the world of standup that I don't think I had, if, you know, three years ago, which is this right. sense of like, we're all helping each other. Yeah. It is. It's different. I hope it's continuing to change that people are not perceiving it as such a lone wolf sport because I don't think it has to be. But there is this image of like comics and leather jackets being depressed. Yeah. And I like to think you can be a joyful comedian. I think if you want any longevity in this industry, you have to find the joy in it because otherwise it is really sad and depressing and there is a lot of negativity. Yeah. Okay. Last thing I want to ask you. I have a friend who wants to do stand up. Yeah. Uh, He's in the UK time zone. Okay. So he. I don't know if what the time cla- is it in UK right now? It's like six hours ahead. So, well, you should put him in touch with Jerry. And because occasionally, like, we have done like a Sunday at noon class. Like, if oh, really? we have enough interest with people who are in different time zones, we can sometimes work around okay, it. Okay. I like this. I'll refer him. And to that. or he can set up some like private coachings before he wants to commit to the whole class and all that jazz. Oh, cool. And, and, uh, they can take your class. Yeah. Standupcomedyclass.com. I work with Jerry Kasman. We also do corporate workshops where we teach performer skills for the corporate world, which are, really underrepresented just like you know how to be a magnetic charismatic most authentic version of yourself which is mm-hmm. very in right now <laughs> charisma is in yeah um, um and so, go yeah. to your youtube yes hello pasternak's my youtube channel i'm at heatherpasternak.com we're gonna watch slay at home mom yes and thank you for having me and chris is gonna crush it tonight if yeah. you have any joke pitches for me oh absolutely uh, and then I got to hit up this Guy Fieri uh, restaurant. I, oh, my God. Guys, I didn't get to go to. And you but. know what? You should chat with Lauren Compton if you want. Oh, while yeah, she's yeah. here. She's amazing, too. That'd be she awesome. She does shows in Austin. So I'm excited for you guys to like meet. And oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, we're going to go do the show now. We're going to kill it. And then um, and then Heather's hey, going to go off. Thanks for being here, whoever you are. Yeah. <laughs> we must have so much in common because we're both obsessed with Chris. Anyway. <laughs> thanks, Heather. Bye. Bye. There you go. That was my interview with Heather Pasternak. Uh, I love talking to her. I I love her uh, just uh, effectiveness as a person. I just find it very, uh, I find it in contrast to me in a lot of ways. Um, So quick little ramble, uh, because I actually have to go to the airport in like 10 minutes. Um, I'm flying to Vegas tonight, Monday, for a one-day gig. And then uh, Wednesday, I'm flying to Houston, Texas for the Riot Comedy Festival. If you're hearing this this week of Monday, March 20th, I'll be in Houston from Thursday through Saturday doing shows at the Riot Comedy Festival. I'm doing five different shows there. Uh, It's actually very, I'm excited for this festival because um, not many, I've been to festivals, honestly, where you go and you get one show or you get one show and another like late night spot that isn't that great. So I'm I'm very much in admiration of a festival that if comics are going to take the time to travel to them, that they get plenty of stage time. It's going to be cool. Um, Otherwise, everything continues apace. I have my software engineering job. I'm working on my comedy show. I'm doing this podcast. I'm working on learning React. Uh, I'm just doing all sorts of things, you guys. Um, I did ask chat GPT last week, what are the early signs of burnout? And uh, I'm happy to say that I don't have any of them yet. So I'm excited about that. And if you go to club.chrisgrace.com, I actually posted a sample 
uh, I'm working through the poster images for my upcoming Fringe show. And I actually just sent out yesterday some requests to a couple different Fiverr artists to see what they can come up with uh, based on a photo mock-up that I posted in the club. So go check it out. Uh, you can also send me an email at podcast at chrisgrace.com. I think that'll do it for this week. Um, I hope you have a wonderful week and uh, you'll be hearing from me very soon. Show. Today's episode was edited by Eric Michaud and produced by Chris Grace. The opening music is Easy Cooking by Boom Opera, and this closing music is Chinese Hip Hop by Alexander Rufire. You can send an email to us at podcast at chrisgrace.com or join the community at club.chrisgrace.com. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Chris Grace. This is The Chris Grace Show. Have a wonderful day.